like to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Since this is the last message we're going to be presenting in the context of the believer's armor, our preparation for the meeting of our mortal enemy, Satan himself. Let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. You follow along as I read all the way down through verse 20. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit." which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Even though the Apostle Paul doesn't attach some metaphorical use for prayer in the spiritual armor of the Christian, as you can see in verse 18, uh, maybe something like uh, the metaphorical spear of prayer, and he could have done that, right? Could have uh, likened our prayer as a spear against the enemy's attacks, like he did the breastplate of righteousness, or maybe even the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, but he doesn't do that. And I suspect maybe he didn't do that because prayer is a very, very unique instrument in the hand of the Christian, and uh, we don't necessarily talk to the enemy with prayer, so it might not be appropriate to talk about the spear of prayer. We talk actually to God about the enemy. And so we want to talk about that tonight. And Paul talks about prayer in the context of this armor of God and explicitly emphasizes this concept of prayer in connection with the fight in which we're engaged against our enemy. And so it's very, very natural for us to continue to talk about the armor of God about the believer's spiritual armor, including prayer, even if Paul doesn't use it 
with the metaphor or of some aspect of the armor, whether it's the Roman armor armament that we've talked about, or maybe even that divine warrior motif in the prophecy of Isaiah. Nonetheless, we have, and I think vitally connected to the spiritual armor of God that we're to take up, this concept of prayer. Look at verses 18 to 20 of Ephesians 6 with me, and we'll see the critical importance Paul places on this matter of prayer. Now, whether Paul is tying his emphasis on prayer uh, to that imperative verb that I've talked to you about before that is listed for us there in verse 14, stand therefore, and then those participles having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoeing your feet with the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, whether or not Paul is using this concept of prayer that he refers to in verse 18 and drawing it all the way back up to that vital verb called stand, therefore, in verse 14, we don't know. He might be actually taking off on the subject of prayer, when it says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. That's a, that's a verb. That's an imperative verb. I think it does actually take us right back to verse 14 when he says stand. And you know that's the fourth time that he's mentioned the concept of stand or standing, a stand against. And so I think that because Paul is talking here in one unit of thought, he is talking about prayer under that verb, stand therefore, in verse 14. He gives this particular phrase, praying, which allows us to understand, even from the English text, that that's a, that's a participle there in verse 18. And then he also gives another participle in verse 18, keep alert. And so those show us the principal functions of how we're to pray. If we're to stand against the wiles of the devil, Paul says we're not done just by talking about all of that armament. We're not finished yet. He adds a very crucial component, and he says praying and keep alert. In a sense, you could say that what he's doing is he's saying if the imperative verb is stand therefore, then you ask the question how, and then he describes the armament. And then he says, and there's another vital way of carrying out this, this idea of standing against the devil, and that is to pray and keep alert. In fact, that could probably be a two-point outline for our message tonight, right? Because if those are the participles that actually modify or, or flesh out what it means to stand, then they are these, praying, praying, and keeping alert. So if you write in your notes, praying and keeping alert, you have two of our three outline points tonight. And let me give you the first one, because he fills out not just the concept of praying, just generically speaking, but he actually gives us a a, a kind of fleshing out of prayer that is marvelous. And here's what he does. He talks about ceaseless praying, and he talks about giving petition or supplication 
in our spiritual battle. So maybe our outline point could be something like this. Ceaseless prayer and petition. Ceaseless prayer and petition in the spiritual battle. That's our point. That's Paul's point to us. Ceaseless prayer and petition in the spiritual battle. That's what he's talking about in the first part of verse 18. This is what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You can't miss those all words, can you? In fact, he uses four of them. Do you see it in verse 18? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, verse 18, making supplication for all the saints. So, all times, all prayer, all perseverance for all the saints. Those are very, very inclusive words. It includes all of us. And so what does Paul say we're to do? If we're going to stand against the enemy, in addition to all of the armament that he talks about here, all the things we've just read about, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, shoeing your feet with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, all of those things are what we must do as we engage the enemy or as he attempts to engage us. But Paul's not done. He says you also have to pray. And he says you have to pray ceaselessly. Ceaselessly. We could say it like this. Battle-ready prayer, Paul says, must be ceaseless in its duration. Battle-ready prayer must be ceaseless in its duration. That's why he says, praying at all times times. Now, of course, what I think he means by that is praying at every opportunity. Praying at every opportunity. I think it might have been A.W. Pink who once said, a prayerless Christian is a contradiction in terms. And I might add to that, a Christian who doesn't pray unceasingly at every opportunity or for every opportunity is being disobedient to what Paul says here. If that verb, if that finite verb at the beginning of verse 14 allows us to see all of that which comes after it as the outflowing from what it means to stand therefore, and one of those is prayer, then Paul is saying, by way of a command, you must pray. And he says here, you must pray at all times. If you are in the battle, if you're ready for the battle, he says battle-ready prayer must be ceaseless in its duration. And this is Paul. This is his life. This is what he does. I mean, it's not just because he was formerly a rabbi, he was a Pharisee, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and so he learned how to pray. I mean, those things are true, of course, but he was praying to the wrong God. 
I mean, he might have been praying to Yahweh God, but he wasn't doing it by the time Jesus Christ himself had died on the cross and when Paul was confronted on the Damascus Road and when he realized that God's Son was indeed the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, now he had the right person to pray through to get to God the Father. And that is the the life of Paul. Look, for instance, in the book of Romans, and you'll see that this is the pattern of Paul himself. In Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, this is often how he started his epistles. In Romans 1, verses 9 and 10, for instance, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, and without ceasing... I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. You notice what it says there? Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Ceaseless praying, always mentioning the Romans. And by the way, the Apostle Paul did not found the church at Rome. Somebody else did. But he has such, such an affection for them. How about Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. Just a, a page over from Ephesians 6 to the right. Philippians chapter 1 verse 4. Notice what he says to the Philippian believers. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He even says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. This is a ceaseless prayer, the Apostle Paul. What, a, what an example. I mean, I I can't say that I have this ceaseless praying that is never ending in an opportunity as Paul presents it here. How about Colossians chapter 1, verse 3? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. We're always in this attitude of prayer, always ceaseless in our prayer. Why? Because there's a battle going on. There's a spiritual warfare going on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is is Paul's pattern. Verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. This is a command. This is a command. You say, well, I'm busy. Well, we're all busy. But we all ought to have a conscious attitude of prayer. He says we're to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think he probably is is bound up in that will of God, that phrase, pray without ceasing. That's the will of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, just one page over. Verse 11, to this end we always pray for you. I mean, he even says it in our own book, the book we're studying, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I mean, that's enough, isn't it? That's enough to prove the point. Paul says, are you battle ready, Christian? 
And if you are battle ready, it'll be because you pray ceaseless prayers. You pray at every opportunity that you can that you will be delivered from Satan and his temptations. And you'll be praying for others. I think Paul says something else here. He says, praying at all times, and then notice this, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Or it might be with the Spirit. Or it could even be translated by the Spirit. In, with, or by. The little Greek word en, en, could be translated contextually with any one of those, it seems. And so, not only are we to be battle-ready with these ceaseless prayers, but we also ought to have battle-ready prayer which must be spirit-controlled in its dynamic. If it's to be battle-ready prayer, ceaseless in its duration, then we also ought to have battle-ready prayer. It must be spirit-controlled in its dynamic. It must be in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? It probably means something like this, in in the realm of the Holy Spirit, uh, in the flow of the Holy Spirit, in the will of the Holy Spirit, or uh, with the Holy Spirit's blessing, with the Holy Spirit's knowledge, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the will of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We don't know exactly uh, how it should be translated, but we know this, the Spirit is controlling our prayers. It's It's like a dynamism. The Holy Spirit controls our life in prayer so that you and I have the dynamic spirit-controlled life. Hasn't he already said in Ephesians 5.18 that you and I should be what? With the spirit. Filled with the spirit. I like the idea maybe more of control. The control of the spirit. Filling sometimes gives you the idea of, well, do I have um, enough of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Do I have him filling me up? I like to think of it more like this. It's not how much do I have of the Holy Spirit. It's how much does the Holy Spirit have of me. How much control am I giving Him in my life? And here Paul says that if you're praying in this battle-ready position, you must pray under the control of the Holy Spirit as the very dynamic force in your life. The dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us, does the Holy Spirit, to pray in His power. And how easy would it be for us to see that when we're in the midst of spiritual warfare every day of our lives, facing temptation at every turn, we do not have the power in and of ourselves to withstand these attacks. We've got to have the Holy Spirit's power. We are wholly dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know how to pray as I ought. Well, didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 8 that that's exactly right? We don't know how to pray often as we ought. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He groans within us with with those groanings that are too deep for what? For words. So we 
when we run out of how to pray effectively, we don't know exactly how to pray with the kind of effectiveness that we know we ought, and we're crying out to God, and we don't have the words to even articulate what we're thinking, our emotions, how we're withstanding these these subtle attacks of Satan himself, and we cry out to God, and God gives us, through His Holy Spirit, the groanings that are too deep even for words, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and makes us ready for the battle. When's the last time you ask the Holy Spirit to control your prayer life in regard to the spiritual battle that we're engaged in? This is is critical. It's a critical understanding. And that's why he says right here that we are to be praying at all times, ceaselessly, that's the duration of it, in the Spirit. He's controlling us, and that's the dynamic of it. So the duration, ceaseless. The dynamic of it, the Holy Spirit's control. And thirdly, notice what he also says in this verse, the first half of verse 18, with all prayer and supplication. Now when it says with all prayer, it might even be with all kinds of prayer, including what he says here, supplication, which actually could be translated petition or maybe even request. So it's with all kinds of prayer and the requests that come from or through or by those prayers. That's what he's saying. So you say, well, if it's ceaseless prayers as to its duration, and if it's spirit control as to its dynamic, then what he's saying here with this phrase is that battle-ready prayer must be multifaceted in its design. Multifaceted prayer in its design. Here's the design of it. There are several ways to pray, right? There's a, there's a prayer praise that we offer to God, right? God, we love you. We're singing to you. We, we thank you for the work that you've done for us through your Son on the cross. And uh, we engage in this battle through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray prayers of praise to God. That's one kind of praising. That's one kind of praying. There's another kind of prayer. All kinds of prayer. Here's another. Intercession, right? You're interceding for others. That might even be a subset of supplication, right? Where you are you are asking God on behalf of someone else. You have a request. You may have a request of your own. You may be asking God to give you something or to change you in a particular area. And so you're giving that request to God. Or you may be asking in a petitionary way for someone to be helped in their own Christian life. This is so very, very vital multifaceted prayer, all kinds of prayer. And then he includes, of course, supplication. Isn't this so reminiscent of Philippians chapter 4? Almost uh, the same kind of phraseology that he lists here in uh, all prayer and supplication. Philippians chapter 4, you know it well. Do not be anxious, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by what? Prayer Prayer and prayer and supplication. I mean, it could be that he's saying by prayer, which is supplication or which brings a supplicant, a a person who is coming to God with their requests. But I think he's probably saying something like this, all kinds of prayer, 
and, as an example, supplication, requests, petitions. So what have we learned thus far? We've learned that if you and I are engaged rightly in the battle, in addition to all the battle armament that we have on, in addition to relying on the divine warrior, and we've got his armor on us so that we can withstand these schemes of the devil. And here's what we do when it comes to prayer. We have ceaseless prayers if we're really battle ready and they're ceaseless in terms of their duration. We have the spirit controlling our prayers and that's the dynamic that we have. And we also have all kinds of prayer and supplication. That is all of the kinds of prayers that we pray are multifaceted in their design. You know, when you look at the Psalms, We're going to be going through the Psalms after we finish the book of Ephesians. And in so many of those Psalms, there are even Psalms of imprecation, imprecatory Psalms, praying that God would would damn our enemy. That's so often what we find in those imprecatory Psalms. God, deal with them. They're they're trying to snuff us out. They're, They're trying to destroy us. They're trying to kill us. You even find in one of the Psalms that it says, How blessed is this God who seizes the Babylonian children and dashes them against the rocks. And there are some people who say, Oh, that's terrible. There were even some uh, denominations who, with regard to even that verse itself and the imprecation of that particular prayer wish of the psalmist who said we will not let that particular verse or that psalm be read in our congregational reading because we believe that's offensive we would never affirm a god who would do that and yet that's exactly what the psalmist prays under the inspiration of the holy spirit now it has to be understood it has to be contextually uh, taught but it is no less true that that's a, a kind of prayer a prayer of imprecation. There are a number of, of prayer kinds in the Bible. And that's why our God, he, he uses all of these multifaceted prayers of our lives because prayer itself is multifaceted and God can receive those prayers. And all of those prayers are necessary as we fight against our mortal foe, Satan himself. All right, that's number one in our outline. How about number two? Number two, what does Paul say at the end of verse 18? You see a little period there, and he goes on in verse 18 to say, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here's the way I've written out the outline point. Alert, persevering prayer, and petition in the spiritual battle. In other words, two facets of it just like the first one, alert, persevering prayer and petition, that's the word supplication, in the spiritual battle. That's what he's driving toward, alertness and perseverance. And he adds even another dimension to our prayer lives as embattled Christians when he says, to that end, or maybe your translation might be, for that purpose or for this purpose We must do something. And what is it we must do? He says, keep alert. Keep alert. We have to keep alert. Or maybe even your translation might say, be watchful. Be watchful in prayer. This is a very, very important concept in our prayer lives. Very, very important. This particular 
Greek word for the concept of keep alert means literally, physically, to be sleepless. In other words, to be awake, to be vigilant, to be discerning, metaphorically, to be watchful, to be on your toes, to always be ready for the dangers that you and I may face. I mean, if we're in a battle, and if you're trying to eye the enemy, you can't sleep. You can't fall asleep. You can't be sluggish. You have to be ready. You have to know what his schemes are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes, and I fear large amounts of Christians are exactly that. They are ignorant of his schemes. That's why we took the first couple of messages in this series, and we talked about Satan's devices and how we are to to arm ourselves with God's precious remedies against those devices. We have to be ready. We have to be on the alert. Jesus himself told us this. Look back in your Bibles at Mark, Mark's gospel. This is from the lips of Jesus himself in Mark chapter 13. Mark 13. Jesus told his disciples, he says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then notice this, Mark thirteen thirty three, Be on guard. Same word. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. What is it like? He says in verse 34, It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. He says it again. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you what? Asleep. Remember? Metaphorically, you got to be awake. You've got to be vigilant. You have to watch out. And then he even adds in verse 37, And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. This is what we have to do. And prayer is the vehicle through which Paul is saying, stay awake. Luke 21, verse 36. But stay awake at all times. And here he adds praying. But stay awake at all times, Luke 21:36, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the son of man. Vigilance. We're in a battle. We've got a very very ferocious foe. Satan stops at nothing to nip at our heels. He will stop at nothing to try to do everything he can to get us off kilter, spiritually speaking. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful. Same word. You have to be ready. You ought to take these verses that I'm 
going over with you and write them down and meditate on them about the importance of being awake, of staying awake. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That same idea, keeping watch. And then in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. Keep watch, pray for us. Be alert, pray. This is what we are to do. We have to do this. We must do this. We have even another particular Greek word. I won't go through the the passages, but this is a, a very similar word. And that's translated often as be alert, be watchful. I think the ESV translates this particular word, be watchful. Uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, 26, Acts chapter 20, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Peter, Revelation. It says over and over and over again, one of the critical areas of the Christian's life is to be on the alert. Don't be sluggish. You ever seen someone who was, was either very, very tired and would stumble through that, that lethargy of being tired, or someone who's inebriated, and they don't know where they're going, and they're stumbling, and they're falling. Be vigilant. Be awake. Be alert. Be sober. And one of the ways that you and I can do that is to do it in prayer to God. We're asking God for help. We might even say something like this. This is not a bad prayer. Lord, I'm in trouble. I need you. Satan has bewitched me. I'm in trouble. Help me. Help my soul. Now, it would be illegitimate to say, oh, I got caught. Help me out of my circumstances. Right? But it's very legitimate to be able to say, if I want to arm myself for the battle that is raging in the world, my own indwelling sin, Satan, his demons, the temptations and allurements that I see around me, I've got to pray. I have to pray. I have to lift up before God my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters so that God will help us in this spiritual battle. All these scripture passages that I've given you fill out what it means to do what we must do in prayer, to keep alert. And then notice what he says also in the latter part of Ephesians 6.18, to keep alert with all what? All what? Perseverance. Perseverance. You can't give up. You cannot give up. If the Spirit of God resides in you, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, you have to continue in the battle. It's not too hard. It's not beyond you. It's not beyond our means because God is faithful. He won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're, we're able. He, he is faithful to us. He will take care of us. But it is through the means of our persevering prayer. We must pray and we must pray in persevering ways. That's why Romans 12, 12 says what it says. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Constantly 
pray. That's why Paul says in Colossians 4.2, steadfast in your prayers. Be constantly and steadfastly in prayer. The, the book of Acts. I think we even read this morning from the book of Acts about the prayer life of the early church. And you know they faced the kind of temptations with this new and living way that was going to meet undoubtedly with very, very angry people. And you can see in the book of Acts exactly that. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these, that was that original group, the apostles, those closely associated with them, some of the women, all these with one accord, with the kind of unity that is enviable, with with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoted in prayer. It, it was their devotion to God. That was their prayer life. They, they had to pray. They couldn't do anything else but pray. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read it this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their regular prayers. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And I love the fact that Paul sort of moves us beyond just our prayers for ourselves in Ephesians 6.18 because he says that we ought to be persevering in prayer. We ought to be keeping alert for whom? All the saints. All the saints. We ought to be praying for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, didn't he already say in chapter 3 of Ephesians that in verse, for instance, verse 19, we're no longer strangers and aliens, Jews and Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, uh, this, this structure that has been built, this household of God being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're all in this together. Every single one of us. That's why we give prayer requests. That's why we ask somebody, pray for me. Why? I need help in this area or that area. Pray for me. What, what, what can I do to pray for you? How can I pray for you? I even heard someone recently say, and I think it was a good point. You know if someone's praying for you, when you tell them what to pray or how to pray, and then they come back to you afterwards and say, I've been praying about that. What about this? Give me an update, Right? It's a wonderful way to support the saints. Persevering prayer by keeping alert in our prayer lives, our petitionary prayers for others. That's why in chapter 4 of Ephesians, 
He says we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And you ought to be praying in that unified way. And you ought to be praying for each other. You ought to persevere in that prayer being alert because you are destined you are desirous you can't do anything else but pray for all the saints we're in a battle we're in a fierce fierce battle how and in what ways do we pray paul gives us the answer we're to pray at all times we're to pray in the spirit We're to pray all kinds of prayers and supplication. We're to keep alert. We're to persevere. And we're to make prayer requests for all the saints. Now we could stop there. But Paul adds one other thing. And uh, this might be sort of a third and final item that we could talk about tonight. And it's this. Paul says, oh, and by the way, pray for me. Pray for me. I need your prayers. I think I said recently, even though Paul was a Calvinist, in the best sense of that term, he never tired of believing that while God is sovereign and that God will do what God desires to do and that His plan will never be thwarted, he can at the same time and at the same breath say, God is sovereign, pray for me. God is sovereign. He will carry out His plans. He will do what He will do. Pray for me. Why? Because God has not only uh, appointed the ends of our lives through His plan and purposes, but He's also appointed the very means to which those ends come. He gives us the privilege of helping to answer the very sovereign ends of a gracious God by our own prayers and that's not a contradiction it's not useless praying well god's going to do what god's going to do if 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 god is this sovereign god if 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 paul is a a man who believes in the sovereignty of god like no other then uh he doesn't need to pray that's not true if that were true then why was why would paul say in verse 19 and also for me also for me what pray pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I mean, Paul regularly asked people to pray for him. I mean, specifically, pray for me, Paul says. He says in in Romans 15, and I love this, and you should turn there, because in Romans chapter 15, when he says to pray for him and his ministry. This is the way he says it in chapter 15. Look at verse 30. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, you you Roman brothers, I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf or for me. And that word strive together, agonizomai, agonize in your prayers to God on my behalf. 
Don't tell me Paul doesn't believe in the power of prayer. Don't tell me that he doesn't believe that prayer is efficacious. That it will do what God wants done through the the means of our prayers. And he says, strive together. Agonize with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. For what, Paul? Verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem, uh, sending money to the poor saints in Jerusalem, may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul says, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the efficaciousness of prayer. Prayer matters. The righteous, godly prayers of the saints, they're efficacious. They do what God wants. You say every one of them? Ultimately, from our perspective, we pray and then God does what He does. And and our prayers may need to be shifted and turned and morphed and shaped as we continue to grow in the Christian life and as we continue to ask God for things. But ultimately what God brings to us through our prayers is His will and that's what we want in the first place, right? We want to be able to line up our will with the will of God. And sometimes our will is here and sometimes His will is here. And so the purpose of our prayer lives and the purpose of our sanctification is to ultimately work toward aligning our will with the will of God. So that we're in concert with God and His will. And it's not wrong if you and I don't know exactly what God's will is in a particular case. It's not wrong for us to say something like this. Lord, I want this, whatever this is, to be your will. And so I'm praying that that would be your will. Make it your will, Lord. Could you bring this which is my will, I I grant that, I acknowledge that, it's my will, but I am also submitting my will to your will. This is what I want, but if it's not your will, don't bring it to me because I don't want anything that isn't your will, but could this be your will? And if it is, God would be pleased to answer His will in that way, and we find our will lined up with His will, and we have our prayers answered by God. What What a wonderful God we serve. This is is what Paul is asking for. He's asking for God to use the Ephesians and their prayers to be effective on his behalf. And what is he specifically asking? Well, there's two interesting clauses here. Uh, They're both sort of the uh, in order that clauses. And notice what he says. He says, pray for me, verse 19. In order that, or for the purpose that, words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. It's very interesting. The the word that is translated words there in the plural is the word lagos, and it's actually in the singular form, which is probably something like this. Pray for me that speech may be given to me. It's, it's words, words in the plural, but it's a speech act that he's asking for. That my speech would be given to me. That God would give me the words to say. That my speech would be effective. And what kind of speech? A proclamation. A proclamation kind of speech. And what kind of proclamation speech? The mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? It's, 
it's the good news, but it may actually encompass not just the facts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It may actually be something like this. The mystery of the ages, the whole plan of God, it's being worked out by God. It's the whole shooting match. It's everything. It's what God is doing. It's the full counsel of God. It's the plan and purpose of God for what He did in eternity past when He saved us, when He elected us, when He called us. And then in space and time, it happened. You and I repented of our sins and we watched the unfolding of this electing grace of God and we realized that we were chosen before the foundation of the world and when we saw that we saw this glorious plan of God and we began to pray for others that they also would realize their election to God by grace and when we see these unevangelized people we have a heart to reach out to them and when we see these lost folks we want to speak a word of the gospel to them and that's exactly what Paul is doing pray that God would give me a speech about Christ, about the mystery of the gospel, about the good news, about the plan of God, and that I would be bold in my proclamation. Bold. Confidence. Frankness. And you say, why might he be praying for this right now? Well, how about this? Number one, he's where? He's in jail. He's in prison. He might be uh, in those quarters, like the latter part of the book of Acts, the very last chapter in the very last section where he had, had this uh, limited opportunity to speak to people about the gospel, but he was still chained to a Roman centurion. And now he's saying probably because of where he's writing and who he's writing to, he may be at the time and the point in his life where he's saying, I've got a big upcoming opportunity to speak and very possibly to Emperor Nero. Pray for me. You know, when you and I have this, uh, this big trial, this big test, this, this upcoming event, whatever it may be, and, and when we know we're not up to the task, when we know we need the prayer help of others, when we know we need the intercessory supplication by others for our need, what do we say? Hey, oh, pray for me. Pray for me i got this upcoming deal. Please, please pray for me. I, I need your prayers. I, I, can't, I can't get along without those prayers. Maybe Paul is saying, there is a huge opportunity for me to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel to the emperor himself. Pray for me. Pray that God will give me the very speech out of the opening of my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So what kind of uh, ambassadorial chains are we talking about here? Well, they could be the, the, the Roman chains. They could be the literal chains. But it also could be that Paul is talking about this, this chain around the leg of somebody who's lost. Somebody doesn't know Christ. I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel as an ambassador, and I'm trying to unchain those who are bound in their sins. Whichever he's referring to, we don't know. Probably his ambassadorial chains of that Roman centurion. That might be what he's referring to. Likely is. But whatever he means there, 
He's saying, I need you to pray for me. And then that other purpose clause there, I need you to pray for me that, this is the last phrase, that in order that for the purpose that I may declare it, what's the it, the mystery of the gospel, and that I may declare it boldly, says it again for a second time, confidence, boldness, parousia, as I ought to speak, which is so convicting, as I ought to speak. You've had those, those interactions, I've had those interactions where we're we're there, the moment seems to have been prepared, and yet we get that lump in our throat, we get that dry cotton mouth, and we say, I don't know, I don't know the angle, I don't know what to say, I'm fearful. And Paul says, so am I. I'm going to appear before this emperor, and I need to know what to say, and I need you to pray for me that God would give me, in the opening of my mouth, boldness, and give me the speech that I need to unfold the mystery of the gospel word. And I need you to pray for me because I'm an ambassador in these chains. And I need to declare this mystery of the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. You know, there's that little conscience prick where you and I say, I know I ought to speak. I know I ought to speak. I ought to speak right now. I ought to say something. I was so grateful for my daughter, Lisa, who had the opportunity in a class last week to speak a a word about how Christ is against certain societal issues for which everybody else in the room says, you can't be against that. Why are you against that? Religion is trash. Religion's going to take over the world. You mean, you mean to tell me you're, you're, you're pro-life and not pro-abortion? You mean to tell me that, that you are not pro-gay marriage? Who, who are you? You're, you're, you're a person who's antiquated. Time has passed you by. That's what they mean when they say such things. You might have had even with your own children or others or conversations even with you yourself where there are people who think we have crawled out of a hole somewhere in a time lapse right? Where they're saying, what planet did you arrive from? This is the 21st century. You mean you're not, you're not pro-gay marriage? You mean you're for, for not killing babies in the womb? You're, you're going to stand against abortion? Yes, yes. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's a sin. Yes, God says there's a better way. There's a better plan. And those are just a few of those societal issues and for which we all need this kind of prayer as we go out to evangelize others. We walk down the street, talk to those people. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful thing if indeed the person who was referred to earlier who said, I'll be there. And if they come, there's an opportunity for us to pray for each other that we'd be effective and loving and gracious and as we talk to others about the gospel, this is, this is the spiritual battle. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they would not see the glorious gospel shining in the face of Christ who is the image of God. Satan's doing everything he can to thwart the plan of God, and you and I ought to be doing everything we can, including our 
prayers, our intercessory prayers for others so that we would be faithful in our prayers for all the saints, praying for the the evangelists out there, praying for ourselves to be evangelists so that God might be glorified and that we might be those who are standing firm in the face of satanic opposition. Praise God that He's given us the armor to do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the Word of God, for its clarity, for its genuine help for us, for how it bursts through the fog of uncertainty and gives us the assurance that if we follow what Your Word says, You will bless It may not mean that we will not ourselves be highly persecuted, blamed. We will be spat upon. We will be very frustrating to people as we speak of our positions, even if we speak with love and grace. Because the world does not want to hear our message. But we also know that you, our sovereign God, takes the bold communication, the speech about the mystery of the gospel, and you use that for the sake of bringing about the salvation of your elect people. We pray that you would use us, and we pray that you would allow us to be ceaseless in our prayers, spirit-controlled, and that we would use all of the multifaceted ways that we can pray with the design of interceding for others and praying for others so that we would all have this boldness like Paul is asking for. For himself, undoubtedly for the Ephesians as he prays for them and as we pray for one another and with one another you will do mighty things in our midst thank you for this teaching on prayer and proclamation may it make a difference in our lives through and by your holy word in Jesus name we pray Amen.